Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Thank you, Anna and Paula, Paul and Sydney, for leading us in song as well and for readers this evening. Uh, I think I've had this cup for about 45 years. It's a Planet of the Apes cup that I got as a gift when I was about four years old. I had a matching bowl that went with it that melted in the microwave, I think, when I was probably around eight. But I still have the cup. I don't use it for anything. It's just really a keepsake from my childhood. What does the Planet of the Apes have to do with Good Friday? Well, absolutely nothing that I can think of. But there is a connection between Good Friday and a cup. And that's what I want to explore with you this evening, this idea of the cross and the cup. It may not be a word association you'd quickly make, uh, but if you were listening to the readings tonight and listening to the words that you were singing, you might see the connection. But I hope to make that connection clear tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to look in chapter 25, verses 15 through 29. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you tonight, you should be able to locate a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you. Our passage is on page 380 of those Bibles. And again, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 25. Let me read verses 15 through 29 tonight. This is God's word. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of the nations to whom I send you, drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, and all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Temah, Buz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. And then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, and vomit fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work a disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. This text that we're looking at divides into four sections. 
These sections are first the contents of this cup that Jeremiah refers to in verses 15 and 16. Secondly, the recipients of this cup in the longest section of our passage, verses 17 through 26. Then the effects of the cup in verse 27. And finally, the acceptance of the cup in verses 28 and 29. So let's just look briefly at these divisions of our passage this evening, beginning first with the contents of the cup. We don't have to guess what the contents of this cup are that are given to Jeremiah. God tells Jeremiah at the outset in verse 15, if you look again in the text, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. This cup is filled with the wine of God's wrath, his just punishment against sin and rebellion. And this passage here in Jeremiah is just one of several instances in the scriptures in which this imagery of the cup is used to symbolize the wrath of God. For example, we see in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. We see this imagery again employed in Ezekiel chapter 23, comes up again in Psalm 75, verse 8, and many other instances. And this imagery, we discover, is picked up also in the New Testament. We see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. So God's wrath, this steady and just opposition against and resolve to punish sin in his holiness and his righteousness, this wrath of God is real. And it is contained figuratively in a cup. And this cup of wrath is given to some to drink. So who are the recipients of this cup? Verses 17 through 26, the recipients are identified. These verses that we read contain some specific references to numerous nations. But the key verses are the first verse in this section, verse 27, and the last verse, verse 26. In verse 17 it says, So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. And who are these nations to whom Jeremiah was sent to drink from this cup of wrath? Verse 26, all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. This cup is to be given to all nations because all nations stand guilty before the God of heaven and earth because of their sins and deserve, justly deserve his wrath and judgment. All nations, guilty before the Lord. But it's not just nations in the abstract. All peoples on the face of the earth because of their sins, justly deserve God's wrath and judgment and punishment. Who are the recipients? The recipients, every person as a sinner is a just and proper recipient of the cup of God's wrath. Every person as a sinner is a just and proper recipient. That's me. That's you. That's everybody as a recipient of this cup. So what does that mean for us? That we are just and proper recipients of this cup of wrath. What are the effects 
of drinking this cup. Verse 27, the Lord says, drink, get drunk and vomit and fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. There's other imagery here. This imagery of the sword, it's mentioned three times. If you detected that in the passage that we've read here in Jeremiah, three times a sword is mentioned, a symbol of judgment, punishment, and death. Now the immediate context here in Jeremiah would suggest that what's being described here is Judah's exile because of its sins. But if, if, but if you listen carefully to the passage, there's something much bigger and much more comprehensive going on here. This is judgment not just upon Judah, anticipating Judah's exile. This is judgment upon the entire world. This reflects really the language of Revelation 14 that we read. It's a depiction of judgment upon the world, final judgment upon the world. God's justice meted out because of the sins of the nations. And so to drink this cup is to be consigned to the final judgment of God in hell. That's the cup of this wrath. It's to be consigned to the final judgment and wrath of God in hell. That's what our sins deserve. That's what your sins deserve and my sins deserve. Punishment and wrath in hell. Something described by Jonathan Edwards this way. Edwards writes, imagine yourself to be cast into a fiery oven of a great furnace where your pain would be much greater than that occasioned by accidentally touching a coal of fire as the heat is greater. Imagine also that your body were to lie there for a quarter of an hour, full of fire and all the while full of vivid sense. In other words, you don't die. You're vividly aware of the pain. What horror would you feel at the entrance of such a furnace? How long would that quarter of an hour seem to you? And after you had endured it for one minute, how overbearing would it be to you to think that you had to endure the other 14? But what would be the effect on your soul if you knew that you must lie there enduring that torment to the full 24 hours? And how much greater would be the effect if you knew you must endure it for a full year? And how vastly greater still if you knew you must endure it for a thousand years? And then how your hearts would sink if you knew that you must bear it forever and ever. This is to be undone. This is worthy of the name of destruction. Thomas Boston, another Puritan, speaks of hell this way. Imagine that at one and the same time, a man was under the violence of whatever diseases and pains have ever met together in one body. The torment of such a one would be but light in comparison with the torments of the damned. There's the confluence of all evils there, a pet whereof they will never find a bottom. They taste nothing but the sharpness of God's wrath the dregs of the cup of his fury. This is the punishment that we justly deserve for our sins. Deny it, argue against it, think surely, surely the, the wrongs that I have committed don't deserve that kind of punishment from a holy and a righteous God. Surely that's excessive. Disagree and deny 
all you'd like, but there's a certain inevitability of this cup of wrath being drunk by sinners justly, justly, rightly, fittingly, the hand of a righteous God. There is something of necessity of the acceptance of drinking this cup. We see that in verses 28 and 29. Look again in the text. The Lord says to Jeremiah, beginning in verse 28, but if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, you must drink it. You must drink it. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name, a reference to Jerusalem, and will you indeed go unpunished? If, nation, if, if the nations are punished beginning at Jerusalem, God's covenant people, will the other nations escape punishment? The Lord says, you will not go unpunished, for I'm calling down a sword on all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. There's no escape from this wrath because of the sins, the crimes, the violations that we have committed. No escape. Or so it would seem. Or so it would seem until we discover when we get to the Gospels that there is the hope of deliverance from this wrath. But there's only hope of deliverance from this wrath if someone will accept this cup on our behalf and drink it for us. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. It's in him that the cross and the cup are connected. This is why we hear Jesus praying in Gethsemane. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And isn't it almost as if we hear the Father's reply to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in the words that are spoken in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 28? You must drink it. He says to him, he says to his son, you must drink it. And so at his arrest in John chapter 18, verse 11, we hear Jesus saying to Peter, he says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given to me? That my Father has given to me. Shall I not drink that cup? Indeed, he will drink that cup on the cross. Whereas the one bearing the sins of his people, he drinks the cup of wrath that we deserve. Indeed, he bears the sword himself against sinners and he endures the agony and torments of hell himself. And so we hear him crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? But he does that. He is forsaken so that all who turn to Jesus by faith, even though their sins have alienated them from their heavenly father, if they look to Jesus in faith, will be delivered from the condemnation, the forsakenness, and the hell that their sins deserve. Those who trust in Jesus can be restored to fellowship and be delivered from death to life. It's by Jesus' acceptance of this cup on our behalf, by drinking it to the dregs, that not only 
does he deliver us from the wrath that our sins deserve, he also gains for us the cup of divine favor and blessing. There are two cups, a cup of wrath and a cup of blessing. Jesus takes the cup of wrath and gains for us the cup of blessing, the cup that's mentioned in Psalm 23, verse 5, my cup overflows, David says. The cup mentioned in Psalm 116, verse 13, mentioned as the cup of salvation. And the cup that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, when he asks the question, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The cup of blessing that we bless. Let's listen to Jonathan Edwards once again. Edwards writes, What a great encouragement it is to those of you who are sensible that you are exposed to eternal punishments. For those of us that get that, sense the reality of what our sins deserve, what a great comfort it is that there is a Savior provided. In Him, in Jesus, you shall be safe from eternal torments of hell. Nor is that all. What a great phrase. Nor is that all, but through him you shall inherit inconceivable blessedness and glory. What an exchange. This is Good Friday because the wrath that was announced through Jeremiah the prophet to all nations, the wrath that you and me deserve for our sins has been turned away from us because Jesus bore that wrath on Good Friday on the cross on our behalf. It's Good Friday today because Jesus took that cup of wrath and gave to us the cup of blessing. It's Good Friday because Jesus on the cross bore sin became sin so that we might be made righteous. It's Good Friday because Jesus undergoes death to give life to all those who would look to him by faith.